to fishing without bait, whether you've got here by accident or on purpose, you've reached our domain. And fishing without bait is a lifetime without definitive expectations, where we help people explode into their lives with our concept of full impact mindfulness. There's no admission fee, only the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. It reminded me of the river, the good old river denial. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, you, you know, and that's, that's, again, that's the biggest problem, and I think, and that's because the conversation is wrong. The conversation is, is geared around us not wanting to accept. Look, if, if I would not want to ha- hear that a close family or friend was having an emotional problem, I certainly don't want to admit if I'm having one. Right? That's even worse. The only thing worse than someone else that I love having a problem would be me having one, right? It's like my sociology professor once said, anybody can be number one after me. <laughs> and it's the same thing. It's bad enough if we have to try and imagine someone else having an emotional problem or, or, or going to get help. Trying to come to a place of acceptance for that and changing the conversation to where that's a, that's a good thing. It's one thing, but to say it for myself is even more difficult. And it's like that flat tire. Until they realize that that tire is flat, until they realize that, oh, I need to do something to fix this tire, they're going to drive around on three tires. That's correct. Carl, acceptance is always the prelude to change. Always, 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 always. Exactly. And I'll, I'll give you another platitude because I've heard so many good ones. You can tell that's why I appreciate yours. It's that... Uh, Change is easy. Transition is difficult. Well, in the 12-step world, and again, I think you might get the concept that I'm a big 12-step guy. Um, yeah. The idea is there's a huge difference between asking for help, Carl, and accepting it. Wide golf. Many people ask for help. Few accept it. And we live in a world, Carl, where we're expected not to deal with any discomfort at all. If, we're, if there's any discomfort then we have to change something. So when I tell people, when we work together, I say, I'm asking them to expect and accept discomfort. People want to stop smoking and they can go the Chantex route, they can go patches, they can get hypnotized, all these other things. Here's what I tell them. Stop smoking and accept discomfort. Well, you're a cruel one, but it's true. Uh, you know, our, our level, and I think in, in the United States especially, our tolerance for discomfort is is very, very, very low. And I think that's one of the reasons that the pandemic was so was so extra difficult for people here was that because we were literally being forced into an uncomfortable place and there was no way around it, right? There was no, you know, buying your way through it. There was no way to, to avoid a certain level of discomfort and for some people an extreme level of discomfort. And we are just not, uh, I think a lot of it's cultural, uh, but I don't think we're wired for it either, right? Back to the same thing is that without some actual... Um, front brain thinking, uh, you know, we're going to avoid the pain and, you know, try and get to the things that feel good. But being able to understand that some discomfort is okay. Absolutely. Is, 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 is a tremendous gift. Yes. And that's, there we come back to the acceptance again. And we're talking about the anxiety and we have to make a determination as to whether that anxiety is amygdala related or whether, as you suggested, the frontal cortex cortex related that is generated from thoughts rather than from the flight flight or freeze aspect that the amygdala is trying to protect us from mm-hmm. it, it is and and I, i'd read once that one of the reasons that uh sometimes you know the, the the debate over whether anxious 
and anxiety you know runs in families is it's there's a strong correlation absolutely. they know that it absolutely. does absolutely but on top of that i think that not only does the does the propensity for it get passed down genetically i think that there's a lot of uh, learned behavior that's simply not there for example you need to be able to have a parent that teaches a child how to self soothe right versus someone that will immediately be there. What they, they, they call them helicopter parents, I think, right? That they're just always hovering, hovering, ready to intervene whenever there's the slightest problem. Those kids, whether they have a genetic component for anxiety or not, those kids are going to have a much more difficult time when life starts to turn and they're in a position where they have to deal with some level of discomfort versus someone else. Uh, we have some close friends that uh, were just visiting from Switzerland very different system for raising their children. These kids are, you know, four, five, six years old, and they're getting themselves up, they're getting themselves dressed, and if one of them's crying and screaming and having a fit, it's, why don't you go over there and figure out how you're going to deal with this? Uh, something that we could never even conceive of. But those kids are getting the gift of learning how to self-soothe at a very young age, and I think that, that uh, that's a tremendous gift to be able to give. Well, quite often, I have an eight-year-old a six-year-old and a three-year-old grandchildren. And uh, when the oldest one, Ruby, she's eight, when she would throw a Wookiee on the ground, laying, screaming, crying, I wouldn't tell her to stop. I would say, Ruby, does crying help, honey? Does crying help? If it does, please keep on crying. And most of the time she would keep on crying. But a few times she would say to me, no, Papa, it doesn't help. I said, okay, honey, then you can choose to stop. A little bit of spite probably going on there, but you're right, and, and, and that's a, and that's a lesson that you have that there you you learn that or you don't, and and I think that a lot of people that that suffer from different types of anxiety disorders probably just did not have that type of upbringing where they were given the tools to be able to realize that they really at the end of the day are the ones that can control whether they're going to be, you know, uh, uncomfortable or not. You know, she's going to decide whether lying on the ground crying is going to make her feel better or not. You've literally laid it out for her. If this is good for you, if this is a positive, then terrific. You found something to be able to help yourself. If it's not, you also have the choice to stop doing it right now. What a tremendous opportunity for her to learn something at such a young age. Well, there's a huge difference between how men deal with emotions and females, as you well know. Uh, I kind of consider like men can do, color their emotions with like a caveman with a crayon on a piece of paper where women have these emotions that have depth and color and texture and flow like a, like a masterpiece painting. Uh, so what's, and I consider a lot of men and they're raised this way uh, when they're young, young boys are actually more emotional than females at the same age, up to about four years old. And then I consider them, they join the, they're indoctrinated into the men's club. Okay. I was going to say, it's, they're trained out of it. And they wear their, they put their man hat on. And I often I refer to most males as emotionally constipated. You know, that's, it's very cultural as well. Uh, I, I would like to think that there are places that aren't that way, but it reminds me of a funny joke uh, that, had some, that has some truth to it. It talks about how different, and you've, I'm sure you've heard of the book Men Are From Mars, Women sure. Are From Venus, and, and that's a tremendous read too if you haven't read it, uh, for anyone who's, who's listening or watching. 
But it was a it was a funny little blurb I saw once. It was how men choose their shampoo versus women, <laughs> and you know, women. It had a list, and it was you know texture, ingredients, aroma, um, you know, silkiness, uh, size of the bottle, the manufacturer's name there, you know, um, whether they're environmentally friendly, and it's a long list. And then it says how men choose their shampoo, and it said the bottle says shampoo. <laughs> that is that is good that is good and that's it's the same thing right the question is is that something that is just innately us or is that also part of that we join that club and that you know it's 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 just not normal for us to be that interested in that level of detail i don't know well generally and again we talk about a matter of perception i am not a marriage and family therapist that'd be the, probably the world's worst one um, mm -hmm. however, what I do comment on the guys sometime, I'll say to them, Hey, you married your girlfriend. You didn't marry your wife. Make her your mm -hmm. girlfriend again. Mm. Yeah. You know, um, I like that. And I'll tell you something my, that my mother-in-law told my wife, uh, 29 years ago and kind of in hindsight, I'm not sure I like that she said it then, but I guess it's a good thing. She said, you know, when you're looking to get married, you have both eyes wide open. And once you get married, close one eye and just keep it closed. <laughs> so your conceptualization through your time of troubles, Carl, and you made a choice to uh, start your YouTube channel and share some of the things that worked for you. How did that start? You know, I, I guess it, for, for me, it was looking on my own, right? I mean, I wanted to look to see if there were other people that were like me that had gone through what I went through. And when I went on YouTube and I would look for... Uh, you know, panic attacks or, or anxiety attack or anything like that. I was getting basically, you know, one of three things. One, I was getting a video of somebody having an attack, which was certainly not what I was looking for and definitely not helpful. Uh, two, I would get a seven-year-old TED Talk from someone that looked about as unrelatable as, as could possibly be. Or three, I would get, you know, a, the tinfoil hat people, I call them, you know, you know pushing... Sure vitamins and, and you know, miracle cures, you know, hold your fingers and your toes just like this, hold your breath, hop on one foot, you know, and, and everything gets perfect. And I thought, this is just wrong. I mean, there has, there should be a place where you can get, I hate to say real, is that politically correct? I don't know. Um, let's just say at least peer reviewed by one peer, <laughs> two maybe, but real information that could be helpful. But most importantly, I was really trying to create that IOP aha moment for other people where someone might hear a story and, and feel like I did and realize that, oh my God, this, 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 I just saw this and this is what I've been thinking. I've had those feelings before and all of a sudden feel empowered enough, just a little bit. If one extra person gets, gets that feeling and is able to then go out and get help, that's the goal, right? That's the aha moment and that's the mission accomplished is just to be able to let people, you know, do go through that same journey that I did uh, where they can realize that they're not by themselves, that there are so many people that are going through these same things and give them that extra little push that they might need to really go out. Making videos is easy. The heavy lifting is for people to go out and get help and actually help themselves. And that's really what I'm, what I'm hoping to do is to create an environment where people will will do just that. They'll see something, they'll they'll relate to it, they'll have that aha moment, uh, and they'll go out and they'll get some real help for themselves. 
So we don't want to look for the differences. We want to look for the commonalities. So quite often when we're in 12-step talk and different types of things, I'll suggest to a person, well, you may be dealing with a drug addiction. You may be dealing with alcoholism or whatever. And I said, you're also dealing with terminal uniqueness. You're terminal uniqueness. You've got some good ones. Yes, that, that's true. I mean, that's true. But we have much more in common, much more in common Indeed. than we don't. Uh, and especially when it comes to, to things such as we're discussing today. Uh, you know, people can be completely unique, but what it distills down to is when there's, an ang when there's an OCD issue, they're going to have a lot in common. Those, the things that define that the DSM-5, I think it is now, yes. defines as OCD is going to very clearly state these characteristics, and they will share that. They might be completely different. You might have a high-end executive, uh, you know, at a bank, and you know, a 14-year-old middle school kid, and they're going to have those identical um, actions that make them similar. And both of them, both of them, uh, are going to be able to get help, different kinds of help, obviously. But they both will have that in common to be able to go and change the way that they're interpreting the messages that they're getting and, and hopefully be able to, uh, to change the way they're behaving based on it. So Carl, we're talking about a common goal and I generally, naturally, we're sitting here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, and mm -hmm. I always say, let's say recovery is Pittsburgh. There's many mm -hmm. roads to Pittsburgh. There's many ways you can get to Pittsburgh. However, Pittsburgh's still Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah, you know, it, it's true. You know, there another John Kabat-Zinn book, I think, Wherever You Go, There You Are. Indeed. Uh, one of my all-time favorite books, I can picture the cover. That's how long ago it came out. I read it on paper uh, and because uh, I'm a Kindle lover now. And, and, and in the end, there's only so much you can do with, you know, you, which is everything, as long as you recognize that it's you and that the changes have to come from you. You can be told something you know, a hundred times. You can be given medication that might temporarily change how you perceive something or dull a sense of discomfort. But what it's all going to come down to, what it's going to distill down to at the end of the day again is your individuality and your ability to accept that you can feel a different way. You can interpret things a different way. And inevitably, you can act a different way based on them as well. Well, Carl, there's a difference between confidence and arrogance. Confident people you follow, arrogant people you avoid. So what happens? The, the other tap, one of the other tattoos I have says "I am," and I often have people. I I always tell people I'm way more interested in what you are than what you're not, and yeah. I have them these "I am" statements like "I am." And they have to be true, of course. And right. uh, but one of them at the end is "I am loved," "I love," and "I am important." And what I do is I have them repeat these I am statements in the divorce recorder on their phone, and I have them play the voice, their own voice back to them. Uh, we can cheerlead people. We can do those type of things. Um, but however, Carl, there's nothing like hearing the sound of your own voice playing those things back to you. Most people are very uncomfortable with the sound of their own voice, Carl. Absolutely. And I'll, um, that reminds me of something else I'll share that, that was in that uh that panic uh, IOP program that I was in that they did. And it sounds, even now to me, where I am, it still sounds like that really helped. It did. 
we would all be sitting around and somebody would make a statement that they wanted to do, right? Like uh, I would say, I don't want to worry about having a panic attack. And everybody else would repeat, you're not going to have to worry about having a panic attack. And it, 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 was, it was jarring the first few times, but hearing other people saying these words back and having other people say things to you about these deep feelings that you have is really powerful. So I can imagine that that would be, it would be similar, it would be akin to the same idea, right? For someone to be able to hear their own voice back once they get over the fact that it's their own voice, right? At least they're hearing this message that's coming back to them. Because again, you don't realize that this inner dialogue that we're always having, uh, it's pretty mean. It really is. And if we can interject a little bit of uh, outside influence on that, even if it's a pre-recorded voice of ourselves, I think it's a pretty good idea. Well, I often term that voice as the persecutor. And I suggest to people, I say, that's not your voice. Whose is it? Right. Right. And, and again, you, you can get metaphysical with it. Uh, I, I like to look at it and say, look, if, that were, if, if your thoughts were really you, you wouldn't be able to observe them. And you can observe them. I always try, try and picture it as sitting in a movie theater back when we used to do that all the time. And you can sit in the movie theater and you can watch the movie. It doesn't matter what you do. The movie's going to just happen, right? The scenes will come, the scenes will go, the good, the bad, all that will happen regardless of what you're doing. And I try and envision thoughts as being the same way. You can sit there and observe them and they will come and they will go. It doesn't matter what you do, but you can sit back and you can observe them just like you would sit back in the movie theater and observe a movie. We're going to continue our conversation with our fantastic guest, Carl, on our next episode. And as always, we offer a free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free, my friends. Namaste. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.